welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every Tuesday I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We all have a story to tell, and we are all mothering in our own way. So let's celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I have an incredible episode. My guest today is Rachel Gaynor. You may know her better as Rachel Rebuilt Online, where she helps women and moms everywhere, helping to reclaim their health and their fitness. And I don't know about you, but my health and fitness have definitely gone in waves, depending upon the season of my life, the interest level of whatever it is that I'm doing in terms of exercise. Sometimes I just feel burned out, but I've heard from so many people that have successfully gone through Rachel's programs that have said Rachel's program is a game changer. It's helped them to reincorporate strength training and just healthy habits back into their life in a way that wasn't there before, and it's really been transformative. So today we're going to talk about that, but we're also going to talk about way more of her motherhood journey, including her road through adoption. We're going to talk about race and raising children that are black and what that looks like and how she has conversations with them when she faces any type of disrespect or scrutiny from the outside world. Such a great conversation. You're going to love getting to know Rachel if she's not already on your radar. You're going to want to follow her after this. So let's get to it with Rachel Gaynor. All right. I want to welcome Rachel Gaynor to the show. Hi, Rachel. Hi, thanks for having me, Jessica. I'm so uh, excited to be here. It's my pleasure. This has been kind of a long time coming. We've been in talks for quite a while, so I'm glad this is finally happening. I know, me too. I'm glad that it's a good time of year. Yes, fun, it, it is. Lots of exciting things. So will you just give a little background on yourself for people that may not know you? Sure. Um, I grew up in Utah, lived here most of my life. A few years that I don't remember, I lived elsewhere, but most <laughs> of my life I've lived in Utah. Um, I met my husband, um, here in our little neighborhood. Um, I went off to school at BYU and we dated while I was there. We, um, dated for a year. I got married when I was 19. Um, and then we have just lived in a few different places in Utah County. Right now we live in Highland. We have four children plus an angel baby and, um, we've been married a little over 15 years um, and our oldest is nine, and our youngest boys, who are not twins, but they're both four, mm-hmm. um, and they're two months apart. All my kids are right. adopted, and I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later. So. Yeah. I love that so much. And so let's just dig into that motherhood journey. When you were growing up, and as you got married, and you started thinking about growing your family, what did that look like for you? What was the vision you had? And then kind of how did that unfold for you? Um, I knew that I always wanted to be a mom. I People have asked me why, and I'm not sure that I have a really great answer. It just was something that I knew I wanted to do. Um, I love teaching. I love growing. I love bonding. Children are fun. I love their... Um, their excitement and enthusiasm for learning. And that is just really exciting to me. I love watching them develop. So I knew that I always wanted to be a mom. um, And that was always in my plan. But I didn't really, I had a lot of big ambitions, like professional ambitions. I wanted to travel a lot. But I I knew it was always something I, I wanted to have kids, but I also had all these dreams and goals. So it wasn't something I was like anxious to get started on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew that it was part of my life plan. Um, I also knew from a very young age, um, like when I was in high school that I definitely was an advocate for adoption, that that was something that I wanted in my life and that it just appealed to me. And I wasn't, I, I don't really have a good reason or any major event that triggered that. I knew a few people who had adopted and, um, it just, I just knew that that would be part of my life. It was just kind of a deep knowing mm-hmm. that I had. And, um, so after my husband and I got married, you know, I was pretty young and we weren't in a super rush, but after a while I, you know, after six months, I was like, I think, I think I do actually want to start a family now. Let's start now. 
and it did not work out. Um, nothing went as planned. Six years later, we were still trying to have a baby and it just wasn't, wasn't working for us. And as I kind of considered, as we considered our options together, um, we just realized that for us, adoption felt like the absolute 100% right path. So a lot of, it surprises a lot of people to know that I did not go down, um, like I did not try any infertility treatment. Um, I did not pursue, um, that route at all. Um, we just decided that adoption felt a hundred percent right for us. We started looking to, into it when we'd been married about five years and then, um, it was about six years before we really got serious about it and, um, put in our paperwork. It's amazing. Hi guys, I know you're loving my conversation with Rachel, but I wanted to jump in really quick to remind you about our sponsor, canvaspeople.com. Canvaspeople.com is an amazing service that allows you to print all of your favorite photos in beautiful canvas format. I just had mine delivered to my home. It is already on my wall. And you guys, literally, when I logged on to canvaspeople.com, uploaded my holiday photo that was on my Christmas card, it took me about six minutes to order it. And guess what? Canvas People wants to give you a free 11 by 14 print. Free, free, free. You just pay shipping. This is a great way to showcase that holiday picture that you worked so hard on creating for your family photos. It's a great gift for parents and for aunts and uncles. CanvasPeople.com makes amazing, beautiful, high quality prints. I love them. They're hanging on my wall and I've also given them as gifts and I would suggest that you do the same. So if you're looking to print your picture or if you're looking to give a gift this holiday season, go to canvaspeople.com. Choose their 11 by 14 print and get it for free using the code extra mom. I was so, so impressed with the quality of Canvas People canvas prints and I know that you will be equally impressed. So check out Canvas People and I want to thank them for sponsoring the show today. All right, let's get back to our amazing conversation with Rachel Gaynor. So let's talk about those five years of infertility and people getting pregnant around you and you going to baby showers. What was that like for you? Because sometimes we don't know what to say to people that are not, you know, getting pregnant and things. And so we just say nothing. And so this is your chance. This is your chance to say, how did, well, how did that feel? And what was that like? You know, that was tricky. I got married really young. I was 19. And so people, I think, gave me a lot of space. Mm. Um, I didn't get, I know a lot of people get questions really early on. When are you going to start a family? I didn't get that a lot at first because I was so young and I was still in college. And and I think that my parents and my husband's parents too, like, we're the oldest. They were happy to let us just wait. Like, okay, yeah. And so we didn't get a lot of of curiosity. Um, but I did notice that as I got to that, you know, year five, when I was really starting to get serious about adoption, it got really hard. And there was a, a week, um, where I seriously, it was like every Facebook post was a baby announcement. Um, everyone at work was announcing that they were <laughs> pregnant. People were, I mean, I think that there were 10 announcements in a it was probably like a 12 day period oh and I could not, I was at the end of my rope at that point. I was just so, I was hurting so much and I was so sad and I was so unsure of, I knew that we wanted to adopt, but we felt so lost and didn't know how to start. And so I felt really helpless at that time. And I remember sitting in my car just crying for like an hour because I couldn't get control of myself. And I, for myself, I knew that that was not, it was no one's fault. Mm. And these other women were not responsible for the fact that I didn't have a child in my life. Mm. And I was happy for them, but I was hurting for me. And I think that one of the best things that you can do, um, is if you are a, if you know, for example, that a best friend or a sibling has been trying for a while and is struggling, I would just encourage people to make a private announcement one-on-one -on -one to that person first mm. and then make your big announcement. That's if, you, if it's someone tip. you're close to. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that they are, that it's sensitive for them. Sure. You don't need to do that for every coworker and every you know person <laughs> that you run into. But, but if it's something that is someone you have a very deep connection to, just giving them a private heads up it's just very respectful of the, of the circumstance of what they're feeling. And it will create a, a much better feeling of support for them and just realize that they, they will probably feel so much joy and love for you and excitement, but their initial response may not be as celebratory Mm -hmm. as you want it to be. And you have to kind of understand that and be be understanding and respectful of that and people can't always control those emotions that they have they they want to be excited for you and they might just have this jealousy or this sorrow that Mm -hmm. belongs only to them so yeah giving them a little more time to process and process privately versus like in the big group like we're pregnant and then you just like breaking down in tears because of the shock right yeah Yeah, the Uh shock or you know I you know especially if you're in a family where it's like like three people are pregnant all at once like that happens all the time in our family where now that we have siblings who are married and growing up you know this year there were five babies in my husband's family wow and if that had happened to me at this really sensitive time in my life I'm not sure that I could have even gone to family gatherings. Mm. Does that make sense? I get that. It's Mm -hmm. just being sensitive. It it doesn't mean that you can't speak up. It doesn't mean you can't celebrate your own joy. You should. You absolutely should. And someone who truly loves you will celebrate with you, but they may still have a little bit of grief. Um, And there's there's something that we don't talk about that a friend of mine who was going through infertility at the same time taught me – was that there are two types of grief. Um, There is the grief of being childless and wanting a baby. And there is the grief of infertility of not being able to um, get pregnant and carry a child. Okay. And those griefs are separate. Interesting. Okay. I didn't know that. I didn't experience um, a lot of grief of infertility myself. Mm -hmm. Um. It's actually, interestingly, something that I have been um, grappling with a little bit more now that I'm, like, kind of starting to wrap, like, tie up the ends of my family and kind of, is this, do I want to try this? Like, is this, am I going to be sad if I didn't pursue infertility treatment? So that's something I am grappling with more now than I did at the beginning, Um, but For a lot of people, they grapple with this infertility, but there's also this childlessness. And adoption does not heal a grief of infertility. Mm. It heals your grief of childlessness. Wow. That is so profound. And it really helps me as somebody who has not been through the adoption journey to understand that so much better. That is huge, Rachel. Wow. Yeah, and, yeah, and I okay. can't I can't say that I came up with that. It was a friend of mine who w- we were going down the different paths. Yeah, and she taught that to me, and it, it always it profoundly stuck with me because if someone can adopt and still have grief of infertility, right? And they may struggle with every birth announcement until the end of time, right? <laughs> so. It, it's just important to keep that in mind. And I think that can help people to be sensitive in, in a variety of ways uh-huh. to people who may be struggling with infertility. Yeah, like you have kids now. Why is this still an issue or why are you still sad? That makes that clarifies it all right there. That yeah. is huge. Okay, this is, this is amazing. Well, and I think what's also a little bit tricky about adoption is for people that haven't walked this, the language surrounding it and the questions to ask and not ask it feels a little uncomfortable because it is a really sensitive personal road to walk down. And so I really appreciate you being open and letting me ask some of the questions that people may be wondering that can give us a little bit more insight. So as you pursued adoption for your bringing home your first child, um, tell me about that. How was that? (laughs) So we didn't tell anybody that we were trying to adopt. We didn't tell our parents 
we didn't tell the only thing we did we did tell my dad because we needed um, a letter of recommendation from him but okay. we didn't tell my mom we didn't tell my mother-in-law we did not whisper it to a neighbor nobody we just got a call from our agency one day that they had a little girl for us and we went and picked her up and we it's more complicated than that but we went and got her (laughs) and we just showed up with a baby no you did not we did and it was fantastic I well that's the announcement you don't want to miss right there (laughs) it was it was so exciting we just we were the oldest so it was the first grandchild on each side and Um, It was just kind of just fun, but we didn't share it because adoption is such a roller coaster. Every time you're presented to a birth mom, there's this hope and this excitement and you you get anxious and you think maybe they'll pick me. Mm. And then there's, you know, they don't pick you and there's like a fall and a, a depression and a what's wrong with me and and we didn't really it was so emotional for me my husband tried to stay he was a lot more even keel but I was on a pretty serious roller coaster the first time Mm. and um, we just didn't want other people asking all the time about how it was going and if anybody had picked us and we just didn't want all the questions and so we didn't tell anybody um and the truth is we have actually never told people that we were getting a baby. The first one went so well of not having all those questions sure. that we just have never told people. So now we like show up with a baby and people are like, eh, eh. no, they're still excited. <laughs> it, it still surprises them. But the first one was by far the best. Yeah. Some people best. withhold like the baby's name, but you just withhold like the baby's existence. So that's yes. just like next yes. level, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> you just, it, it would be like being you know, being pregnant for nine months and never telling anyone oh. and then just showing up with your baby. I mean, that's like... That's amazing. I love that you could pull that off. That is incredible. And so what was it like adding each of these sweet children to your family? And what was the bonding like and the dynamic as you added more children? So um, the bonding question is really interesting. It has been very different with each of my children. We've adopted five times. Um we have four children living and then we lost one of our babies when she was two months old, but um, we've done it five times and it has been very different with each child. Um, With my first, it was very, it was very interesting. I met her birth mom and I, I didn't have to see my daughter. I saw her birth mom and the spirit that surrounded us was just so filled with energy and love and I looked at her and we just knew like Mm. and I just I just was so connected and so I bonded with my daughter through bonding with her birth mom in just this moment and we we met in the hospital she'd already delivered um we'd never talked before that so it it was just a very instantaneous bond between us um and then my daughter, my next daughter was our daughter who passed away. And I actually traveled to Alabama to be with her while she had heart surgery. And I was separated from my husband and my older daughter, um, who was three at the time. And, you know, it, it was, I walked into the room and I saw her and she was in this incubator. And I was just like, just filled with all this emotion. Mm -hmm. But even before that, when we just heard about her, when we heard her story, my husband and I, we, you know, we felt inadequate. We, we tried to not go down that path. And ultimately we felt drawn to her. So it was just hearing her story and knowing just this, again, this deep knowing that she was our daughter. She was Mm -hmm. meant for us. Wow. And, and then pursuing that. And then, um, my third daughter is probably the most interesting and different um, experience because we adopted her. So my second daughter, Daphne, she lived just two months. I'm sorry. And um, and then she passed away from congenital heart defect. Wow. And um, my my third daughter that we we got her just one month after Daphne passed away. Wow. Um, And so I was just feeling, there was so much tumultuous 
emotion in my heart. And I, I really, I struggled. I wanted to open my heart. I, I felt peace about the decision to adopt again. Um, I wanted to be open hearted. I wanted to let another child come into our home, but I was just so scared. And mostly I was scared of adopting a new baby and not saving space for Daphne and, um, just so much grief, so complicated. And my husband, he, without even telling me, he told the agency, yes. And (laughs) me, I was just, just the decision was so hard for me. And, and I didn't fault myself for that. I was mm-hmm. so the grieving process was fresh and I needed to really be at peace with our decision. And once we uh, adopted her, I, it was very interesting because the first time I saw her, it, it was a little, sh- it was a little shocking for me. Um, she was beautiful and so sweet and um, the circumstances were kind of strange and funny, but we saw her, she was beautiful. I loved her. But um, she didn't look like Daphne, and that was both good and and bad. It, I think it was the right – it was good that she didn't because yeah. then I didn't see her as – she was distinctly different, and that was a really important thing for me mentally. Um, but I think it was also startling because I was grieving. Mm. And so um, as my, I loved her, and I was grateful for her, but the bond – it wasn't the bond – that I'd had with my other two. Yeah. And, um, it was actually, I, I went home and I, you know, we took her home. I care, you know, we started having our daily life, right? I, you start caring for your baby, you feed them, you change their diapers, you talk to them, you play with them. And I remember I was up in the middle of the night with her one night and, um, I'd been kind of aching because I wanted to feel, I loved her, but I didn't feel that connection, that bond Mm -hmm. that I had felt with my other two children. And I remember that I was, um, it was the middle of the night. It was like 4am we're up for feeding and I had her laying on the ground in like a really dim light and I was changing her diaper and, um, she just kind of, she just turned her head and looked at me and all of a sudden I was just like overcome with so much like love for her. And that bond was like instantaneous in that moment. And it was just, it was several weeks after we brought her home. And so I think, um, it's just a very different experience. And I don't, I've, I've heard other, um, biological moms speak of bonding with their children. And I don't think it's all that, different. I Um, I don't bond Mm -hmm. with my children in the womb, but I bond with them at different times. And, you know, I, I have two more, I have two more boys after those girls and they have their own stories, but, um, it would take up all of (laughs) discussion. But I think the sequence of those three is, is very interesting because they're very, they're all very different, um, in how I bonded with those children. Yeah, and I completely agree with, I was going to say, and I was thinking this whole time, this can be true with even your biological children. Sometimes you feel that immediate connection and bond and love, and then some you just, it's not quite the same. And it doesn't mean you don't love them. It doesn't mean you don't sacrifice for them. It's just different. And each child is different and each experience is different. And it doesn't make your love less. And so it's important to not beat ourselves up over, you know, giving that a little bit more time sometimes. And yeah, I, I really agree with that. And so another really important thing to point out um, that's interesting and specific to your family dynamic is you have four black children. And yeah. as this topic of race is just permeating our society right now, and I just see so many adults doing this poorly, communicating so poorly about how to teach our kids respect and kindness and just human decency – how are you handling that in your home? And if had you have any personal experiences um, related to race, I wanted just to read a little post you wrote on Instagram that I thought was so, so good. Um, you wrote, all too often, well-meaning parents become embarrassed and flustered, shushing their child and making awkward apologies. And this is in regards to when their child notices color, a uh, child of color. They feel terrible and ashamed that their child can see skin color. But what these parents don't understand is that one, seeing skin color is natural and necessary developmental milestone, and all children must learn the basics of same and different. And two, 
By silencing their child, they are sending a subtle message that skin color is taboo, shameful, and that different equals bad. Yes, yes, yes. And this is goes for skin color. It goes for children with special needs. It goes through any differences, really. How, yeah. how do you incorporate that conversation in your family? And what message do you want to share to other parents that are working through this with their own children? Um, well, I think that post in particular really um, does communicate my feelings about it. But I think the the thing that I would say about race or, or difference in general is that it's really what, what we say to our kids when they notice the difference, it shapes how they feel about that difference. Mm. So when your child, it is inevitable that around the age of about four, it could happen at three, it could be taken till about five, but it is inevitable that sometime in that around the age of four, your child will begin to acknowledge color, mm-hmm. a skin color. It doesn't mean that they don't see it sooner. It's just that it doesn't resonate as as having significance. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. But uh-huh. as they begin to build around age four, they start to build their own personal awareness of who they are. And as they begin to build that personal awareness, they begin to differentiate between this is me and this is other people. And they, they sense differences. Okay. So it could be as simple as that girl has red hair. You know, that boy has black skin, right? That little girl is in a wheelchair. That little boy has a lazy eye. You know, it's whatever they are seeing, they will see it and they will say it because it is innocent for them. They are not making judgments about these people. They are acknowledging what they see. And I think it's really important to understand that children are not burdened by all the racism of our, our country's past. Mm. Um, they, they aren't burdened by that. Adults are burdened by that, but children are not. And so when you, when a child makes an acknowledgement and it's inevitable, like if you don't have neighbors who are of a different color or um, different, then it will inevitably happen while you're at the grocery store and you'll be walking around and they will probably shout very loud what they see in somebody else. Um, but it, it could be even that they see someone who is heavier and right. they might comment on that, yep. right? Yep. But it's very important to acknowledge and say, well, we all have different bodies. We're all made different. We all look different, but we're all, we're all great. Like there's yeah. something different and unique and special about each one of us. Telling, tell your child when they, when they notice a difference, Let your child know that, yes, you see that difference too, right? But acknowledging that you see a difference and placing judgment on that difference are Mm -hmm. different. So acknowledging, Mm -hmm. well, yeah, he does have dark skin. And look, you have light skin. And look, he has dark curly hair. And you have light blonde hair, you know, and you're both different. Mm -hmm. And instead of making the other child different, let your child understand, well, you're also different. You're right. different from him. Right. And understanding that difference is good. Difference right. is important. It's what makes us unique. And um, I think that's just the point that I'd like to make is that we start to differentiate people and put them in an other category. But actually, we're in our own other category. Mm-hmm. It just depends on your point of view. Yeah. Oh, it's just how we approach it. But I love that it's we're teaching them also how to feel about it, not just – what to think, but how to feel about it. And that runs deep. And we're seeing that with a lot of very troubled adults that were not educated on how to feel properly about these things. And we see well, it manifesting I, I in negative one ways. one thing that we forget as adults, um, even adults who've grown up in very accepting communities, uh-huh. one of the problems that I see is they want to pretend that race does not exist. Uh-huh, uh-huh. They want to pretend that I don't see color. But that is like saying you don't see that someone has red curly hair or green eyes like that doesn't make any sense right like that is inherently part of this person and their physical appearance like my boys have a terrible habit of running away from me and getting lost in stores and as much as I try to control that that doesn't help but if they get lost in a store I don't go to someone and say 
well, he's about this tall and has black hair and he's wearing a blue shirt and forget to mention that he is also black. (laughs) That would be ridiculous. Right. 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 I'm a white woman and people will assume that my child would look like me. Right. So it's very important if my child is lost that I list their distinguishing features. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's a good way of like thinking about, well, how would you describe a person's physical appearance? There's nothing wrong with that. There's not anything wrong with me listing a physical attribute. But it is part of them. Yeah. It's when we start to assign um, values to that or when Uh we start to make assumptions about behavior, about nature, like their inborn nature. Right. That they're a certain way, that they'll have certain talents and skills, even positive things. Uh Uh-huh. that they'll have, you know, for my children, certain athletic abilities. They may or may not have those, Mm -hmm. right? Just like any child may or may not have a certain skill. So it's not just that we put negative things, but we also sometimes put positive things. But we have to learn to see the child as like, this is a unique child. And yes, they may come with some biological um, strengths, but it's not necessarily inherent to everyone of a of a specific race. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. How long has it taken you to come to this really wise place of understanding? Has this always been a part of your inner narrative or has this just been pronounced as you've raised these children? Um, I think that I was raised to be very accepting and loving. And by nature, I am a loving, welcoming person. Okay. Um, and so I think in part, it's just being raised to love everyone as they are and uh-huh. to see this individual worth that we all have. But, um, but I do think it is something I've had to learn and I still am learning. I won't always, some things I say may be wrong and five years from now I may learn more. But I think what's important to remember is that we're, we're operating from a place of love. Mm-hmm. And when we're operating from that place of love, we might stumble and say silly things and do inappropriate, make inappropriate comments. Right. Um, but if we're operating from love, there will be an understanding and respect. And um, and I, it definitely is a learning process. As my children go through new experiences, I learn new things. Right. As they, it's not even so much how. I watch others interact with them, but how I have watched my children develop their own sense of who they are and what it means to be of color um, and in our community where they are very, they're a serious minority. Mm. You know, there's maybe three or four other kids who are black in their elementary school. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, they're very much alone and it's hard to, to watch them. You know, I want them to just feel that it's no big deal. But the truth is like race is a differentiator that you cannot hide. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we all have differences that are internal things. We like things we don't like. Um, and we go into a room of strangers and we try to get to know people and we should be able to be confident in who we are and stand in our own strength. But we're always going to be searching for how we connect with someone. Yes. And race is an immediate physical manifestation of something that makes us different and sets us apart. And so until we can become secure in the fact that we are different than what is around us, there's always going to be that sense of I'm alone. Hmm. And that's kind of what I watch my kids struggle with, especially my nine-year-old, um, you know, she's moving. She has the most wonderful, amazing friends. So accepting, so loving. I've never felt that um, there have been awkward things that have happened, mostly from adults, not as much from children. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do see from her perspective, she needs friends who look like her. Yeah. And I can't deny her. I cannot deny that. And I can't deny her from that opportunity. Right. Um, and it it's not right or wrong. It's just that it's a differentiator that makes that that you can't you can't hide and you shouldn't have to hide what makes you different but it's something that automatically sets you apart in a room mm. you are so wise rachel oh this is so beautiful and i love how 
this aspect of your journey has created this wisdom in you that wouldn't necessarily be there had it not been for the adoption part and adopting black children part you know like I just think it's really cool when people can really just live their best lives and just go forward on a path that may look a little bit different than what they envisioned but it gets them to a place where it's like you're so lucky you're so lucky to be where you are and have experienced what you have because look at you go look at what you know now and look at what you're always working on and it's amazing it really has taught me so much and it's taught me so much about how I need to be feeling about myself sure. and the security that I need to develop in who I am in order to t- teach my kids that because mm. I'm not just passing on self-worth. Like they really need to be able to walk into a room and feel secure immediately. They need to feel secure mm. because they will look different and they, so they need to know that that's okay. And um, it's really changed how I approach my own life, for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, what a great transition. You're also passionate about health and wellness. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about that journey for you and how you got into the health and wellness field and what now you are hoping to communicate and help other women and other moms with. Sure. So um, I started – my my own i've i've always considered myself athletic i considered myself athletic in high school i always kind of ran and did other kinds of athletic activities but i didn't really start a health journey until my daughter was um she was a few months old um i i actually i had an injury that laid me up and that led to me um not feeling so great in my own body and so i I wanted to change things. And so I think we often come to our health journey as aesthetically we're unhappy mm-hmm. or because we're just feeling really uncomfortable in our body. And that's how it started for me. I, I've actually I have a history of struggling with body shame and, um, and not perceiving myself with very much love, of being very unkind to myself. And I sort of began my journey from that place of not loving myself and and chasing fitness and wellness as a way to change the outside so that I'd love the inside. Mm. And that didn't work, (laughs) not surprisingly. Um, I think a lot of us do that. We, We try to change what's on the outside thinking, and that could be changing our bodies. It could be changing something in our home. It can be changing clothes we wear. There's a million things, buying something, because we think if we have that thing, then it will validate what is going on inside. And that's not how it works. Um, And I kind of, I came to a place actually after my daughter passed away where um, I sort of reached, I, I was, I kind of felt broken apart after that experience of losing my daughter and I really lost so much of who I was and I I was struggling to know my purpose because I I thought she was my purpose right Mm -hmm. I thought loving her and caring for her was my purpose and then she passed away and I didn't have a purpose and I I was really lost and um at that point I kind of feel like that's when I started to to think more about what was going on inside my head versus what I was, what was happening with my body. And I didn't know at the time, but I didn't deliberately set out to develop a sense of self-worth and self-love, but that ultimately, um, I set some goals to speak more kindly and with more gratitude to myself. And as I did that, um, I developed over time, this deeper sense of, confidence and self-worth and that's kind of what I've been working on and what I now strive to teach other women is that you need to love yourself first and then your body follows Mm. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're you love yourself first and then you get a six-pack that is not (laughs) what I'm saying Uh what I'm saying is that when we work on our mindset about how we perceive ourselves when we try to approach ourselves both with um, a sense of confidence, but also a sense of compassion for where we may fall short or struggle. 
um, that we begin to find this balance where we can love ourselves on a spectrum versus Mm. thinking we need to be a certain way. That's how we love. We get to love ourselves. We earn permission. We don't earn the right to love ourselves. We we have inherent self-worth and value and we, we can practice that anywhere on the spectrum, whether we're, we're really struggling and we're falling short, whether that's in motherhood or in our health or in our community work, in our job, it doesn't matter. Like you can love yourself anywhere you fall on the spectrum Mm. of that. And so that's kind of what I'm striving to teach. And I, I do it through a place of fitness because what I know about myself and some, you know, other clients that I work with is that we come to fitness thinking it will fix things. Mm-hmm. And what I want to help women understand is that you can keep growing. You can take care of your body because you love it, because you deserve to feel strong, because you are worth the effort to eat well and keep your body moving. And that doing those things from a place of self-love versus I need to fix something is really worthwhile. Um, and so that's what I've really, where I've focused my energies in the fitness industry is helping people, teaching them what it actually takes to change your mindset while you're also working on healthy habits. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, or like going that, going on a run because you feel guilty about the plate of brownies that you just consumed and that being the intent yes. versus I'm grateful I can move my body. I'm grateful I can clear my mind in the fresh air. I I want to be out here doing this versus I'm punishing myself and I have to be skinnier or I have to look a certain way, right? Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. That is a great example. And yeah. I've definitely lived in both Me mindsets. too, me too. The mindset mm-hmm. of self-punishment, self-loathing, um, self-criticism, and just constantly beating myself up and that goes for my health and and especially for motherhood where I'm just constantly like oh I'm such a failure I'm not doing it as well as this other mom she's so amazing you know and I think it goes in all these ways but the what I've realized is that when we work on our mindset about who we are and developing that sense of self-love um then we it kind of is pervasive and it moves into all pieces of our lives. So it motivates us to take care of ourselves. It motivates us to be um, good mothers, but from our own point of view, Mm. to not um, worry about what other people are doing. And that's the thing that I try to teach about self-love more than anything else is that self-love seems, it sounds selfish because it has the word self in it, But actually, when we operate from a place of self-love, we are validating ourselves so we don't need anybody else to do it for us. Mm. We don't need to compare ourselves. And if we do feel a comparison, we're able to mentally work through that comparison in a way that that is beneficial to us. It's productive. It's does this matter to me? Great. I'm going to make a change. Does this matter to me? No, not so much. I'm not going to worry about that. Mm. Right? Yeah. So it becomes productive. And then when we work from this place of self-love, it grows. Right? We have more to give. We love ourselves so we're not always out there seeking to be loved and worrying what other people think. We are seeking to serve. Mm. We're seeking to love and to put more joy out into the world, to share our gifts, most of all to share our gifts because we all have them, um, whether they can be performed on a stage or not. You have gifts, you have talents, right? And as we begin to self-love, have self-love and connect with those gifts, we share them freely. And then that love grows. Yes, yes, um, yes. And so it has to do with health and wellness, and I I definitely teach that. I have a whole program that focuses on on healthy habits, but more than anything, what I want everyone to walk away with when they come and work with me is this sense that you are valuable and lovable by yourself right here in this moment, Mm. and 
Yeah. That's what I try to emphasize. Right. And for the areas of lack where you are feeling depleted and like you need to make improvements, do it from a place of wanting to make your life better, not beating yourself up. Well, and remembering that you're like a plant, you're growing, Mm -hmm. right? You're not a piece of coal that is going to become a diamond and you get to love yourself when you're a diamond. You're a plant that is the seed and the seed is wonderful and has potential. And then you grow and you get one little sprout and then you have some leaves and then pretty soon you're a tree and then you have more leaves. Like you get to keep blossoming, Yeah. right? There's no end to the blossoming that you can do. And I think when we understand that, like it's beautiful at every single phase Mm. and we get to just keep growing and changing. And that's how I like to think how I like to think of the process of growth because the other thing is we can think about growth and think, well, if I love myself, then I won't try to change and I won't try to grow because I love myself. Right. Right, So then I should be satisfied, but that's just a really big lie. Mm. You know, you get to, you get to work on whatever you want to change because you love yourself. Bingo. So what is this program? You have a, a program that's open for enrollment right now. Is that correct? Yes, it just opened for enrollment, <gasps> and um, it actually will only be in, open for enrollment for about a week. So um, it is, um, it's called Body Love Boot Camp, and it has three components. Um, it has 12 weeks of workouts. It has eight weeks of nutrition training, and we cover um, eating whole foods. We cover macro counting, kind of what the benefits or drawbacks of that are. And we cover um, intuitive eating, which is really understanding emotional eating, understanding um, hunger, and just making decisions that are really right for you. So really personalizing your nutrition program. And then um, the, the big part that makes the program different is the mindset coaching. We talk a lot about goal setting. We talk about what it actually takes to build a habit, how habits work, how to make them work in your life. And then we talk a lot about self-love and how to actually do that. Um, What an amazing way to start the new year. I mean, you don't have to wait till the new year to get right and to, to make proactive change and positive change in your life, but what a great thing. So when is the last day to register? What's the window? Um, December, it closes December 12th. Okay. And And it, it actually will be, it will be, it will be open until December 12th and then I will close it until after Christmas and then I will reopen it until the course opens on January 8th. Okay, so then January eighth, the twelve week starts on January eighth. Okay. I just I don't want to be marketing it or pushing it around the holidays. I want to be able to Enjoy. for everyone, including yeah. myself, to be able to focus on family. So, I love that. Uh, I I've chosen to just keep it open for short windows. Amazing! I think that's great. And you are so kind. You want to give a little discount to the listeners, right? Yes. So, so it's sweet. a twenty five dollar discount. The code is extraordinary mom, and um. This will open at, it will open through December 12th for early bird pricing, okay. um, which will be at, at $257, uh-huh. and this will be in addition to that. Okay. So You're amazing. It, it'll be the lowest price you could get it at. That is so nice of you, Rachel. And and to think of, if you were paying a monthly gym fee, because I don't need to go to a gym to do these workouts, right? No, they're okay. all at-home workouts. Okay. I love it. And the other thing about the program that makes it unique is you get a lot of access to me. So okay. we do like video Q&As, a private Facebook group. You get a one-on-one coaching session with me. So those things, um, it's like having a personal trainer but at a, a little bit of a discounted price. Well, a lot of discounted price because people spend <laughs> like $100 a session for a personal trainer. So this yeah. is like yeah. two. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So I want, I want it to be something that's accessible for the average mom at home with yes. her kids. To be able to get started on her own uh, physical and mental wellness. You're amazing. Okay, so I'm going to link to everything at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com, including the discount code so people can sign up. Definitely take advantage of that early bird pricing. And what a great thing to ask your husband for for Christmas. You know, like, okay, you know, this this will get me working on my my hot bod and my hot mind. So (laughs) 
he'll, he'll love you a little bit saner for the new year. This sounds, yes. it's a win for everybody. Pitch, pitch the sanity. The sanity pitch, is helpful. Pitch the sanity. Pitch the sanity. I love that so much. Rachel, this has been such an amazing conversation and we could just talk forever, but I wanted to just close by asking the final question that I always ask my guests and it's this, what would you tell your pre-motherhood self? I would tell her to not worry so much about perfect Mm. and worry a lot more about growth. The fearing failure, feeling falling short, you'll never reach your potential because you'll be too afraid to try. Mm. So just keep striving for growth. Can think of failure as growth and I think that's what I would want her to know. Yeah. I love the podcast, How I Built This. Do you listen to that? My husband does. Oh, really well, you it. should too. You should too because it just talks about all these amazing op- entrepreneurs that, yes, now they've built these extraordinary businesses, but it was not an easy road. These are not just business moguls no. that have no missteps. They've learned from no. their mistakes all along the way, and it's gotten them to where they are. And if we can view our own lives like that, that we just are constantly learning day by day. We're not failing day by day. We're learning day by day. That can be a game changer. And same thing for our kids, you know, looking at their little missteps as learning opportunities and helping them to see it that way. Game changer. It's been so huge for me as a parent to realize like nothing is a failure. Like you're just growing. What did you learn from that opportunity that that's what's important? Did you try? Good. I'm proud of you. I know. know. I know. Well, just tell everybody, it'll be linked on the website, but just tell everybody where they can find you online. Great. Um, My website is rachelrebuilt.com. And on Instagram, you can find me at rachel underscore rebuilt. And I think that's pretty much the only places I hang out. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, me too. Me too. Rachel, thank you for sharing your story. And I just learned so much about the adoption journey and conversations around differences. I know that people are just going to love hearing from you today. You are so wise and you're truly an extraordinary mom. You're so wonderful. It was so much fun talking to you, Jessica. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Wasn't that such an incredible conversation? Rachel is truly extraordinary in her journey and just in the message she's trying to share to women to empower them to feel good about themselves and to prioritize themselves. Love that message so, so much. So thanks, Rachel, for taking the time, um, for being on the show. You are truly an extraordinary mom. So if you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at jessicadalquist3. I put out information about all the different episodes there as well as some fun family photos occasionally. And so you don't want to miss out on that. Make sure you're subscribed on iTunes as well if you're a newer listener. You can follow us on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast, and you can go to our website, ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. That's where you'll find all the information about Rachel, her pictures, her cute family, and links to how to enroll in her boot camp program. It's an online program, so if you're looking out for a solution for the new year of how to work out at home and have more of a system in place, take advantage of the $25 off coupon and get the early bird pricing by registering by December 12th. Everything will be linked over there, so do not miss out on that for sure. All right, I think that'll do it for today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show, and we'll see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.